In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Maya, dear Ava, today your dear Lord Jesus baptized you. How wonderful. For the Bible says this about the Lord's love for you and this your baptism. He says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5. In your baptism, you were buried with Christ, Romans 6 and Colossians 2. Your sins were forgiven, Acts 2 and 22. In your baptism, you put on Christ and you were adopted into his family, Galatians 3. You were born again, born from above, by the water and the Spirit, John 3. God gave you his name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were written on you. Matthew 28, for by the Lord's work of baptism, you, Maya, and you, Ava, are saved. 1 Peter 3. And along with this, all the gifts that baptism brings, there is one more. With all of these things, the forgiveness of your sins and the marking of God's name, Jesus has made you members of of his church. Now, when I say church, I'm not just talking about Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, although we are certainly part of this, but I'm talking about all of the Lord's children spread out throughout all the world, every person who, by the work of the Holy Spirit, believes God's word and the promise of the forgiveness of sins, which is won for them by the death of Jesus. This church, all the saints of God, the sheep of his pasture, the people of his hand. His church is what Jesus is talking about in the gospel reading that we heard today. And how wonderful the Lord Jesus describes it. For he doesn't call the church a prison. <laughs> he doesn't call the church a dungeon. He doesn't call the church, and we can thank God for this, he doesn't call the church a classroom. <laughs> he calls the church a feast, a banquet, a party. And this is not just any feast. For our Lord Jesus calls this feast, the feast of the church, a great banquet. But listen to what happens in this great banquet. There's a man who goes through all of this trouble preparing this great feast. He orders all the food and all the drink, perhaps, uh, perhaps a, a day's worth of food, perhaps even more. Perhaps this is a, a, a multiple day, maybe for a week. He, he prepares places for his guests to say, stay, for them to rest, for them to wash up. He makes sure that everything that they need would be provided for so that they might eat and drink and be merry. 
He probably has a band coming with their instruments and singers to sing and and to make merry in this great banquet. And when all the preparations are complete, he he sends out his servants to pick up all the invited guests. Now, such a great feast, as we would expect, would have great guests. Famous people, wealthy people, people with homes and land and servants. A great feast, after all, needs great guests. But here is where our text twists and is a comfort for us, the baptized. For all the great people invited to the great banquet have excuses, reasons why they can't come. I just bought a field, says one. I just bought a huge bunch of oxen, says the other. I just got married, says the third, and I can't come to the feast. One after another, all of these great guests refuse the invitation and go about their business. And there is the host with his food and his drink, his house made ready, everything else, and no one comes to enjoy it. So look at what happens next. The master, the one who prepared the feast, is angry, rightly so, mad at all the people that that refuse to come, but he goes ahead and sends out his servants to the streets to bring in other people, to bring in, the text says, the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servants do this, and when all the streets are emptied of all of the homeless and all of the beggars, the, the, the uh, they, servants come and say to the master, there's still room. So he sends them out to the highways and hedges, to the people traveling, and the people even, what are they doing in the hedges? I don't know, waiting to steal someone's stuff that passes by. Find anyone you can and bring them in, that they would come too to this feast and rejoice and be glad. And they come, and they rejoice, and they are glad. This parable, dear saints, dear baptized, is the parable called the parable of the great banquet. And it is a parable that our Lord Jesus both told and preserved for the past 2,000 years for us, for our own warning and for our comfort. And here's what the parable means. The master of the house is our dear Lord Jesus himself. The banquet is his church, and the feast is salvation. The servants are the prophets and the apostles and all who bear the word of the Lord out into the world. And the guests, well, this is the point. What we expect to find in such a great feast with such a great host is great guests, but we don't. For no one is worthy of of this great meal. None that are invited are worthy. But there are those who are invited that because of their pride or because of their trust in their own works or for whatever reason, they think that this feast is unworthy of them. No, they say, I'm busy I've got other things to do, better things. This is simply terrible. These are the people in the world who in their delusion think that the gifts of God are unnecessary. When Jesus first tells this parable, he's talking to the Pharisees. These teachers of Jewish law who thought that they were righteous because of their obedience to human traditions. 
And therefore, they neither wanted or thought that they needed the Lord's mercy, the death of Jesus. But this can be expanded for all the people who do not come, who are invited but don't show up, who make excuses when the servants came. All of these are the people that think the feast is unnecessary. And this, dear saints, includes all the atheists who don't think that there is a God, all the way to the members of a church who don't think that it's important to hear the Lord's word or come to his meal or show up on a Sunday. In fact, this group of those who are invited but don't come includes us, insofar as our own hearts stray from the mercy of God and towards the, quote, greener pastures of pride and self-assurance. For any thought that we have, that we are a good person, that we've in some way deserved the Lord's gifts, that we have some way earned or done something to get a hold of eternal life. Any thought that God owes you something puts you squarely in the crosshairs of the last verse of the text. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So be warned. The people you expect to see at the banquet those whose lives perhaps are even full of good works and all of this stuff, but do not have faith, they are not there. And that, dear saints, is the awesome mystery of the kingdom of God. The awesome mystery that Jesus is teaching us, putting before us. For this feast is filled, not with the upright, not with the Uh, with the rich and well-to-do, not with those great people in society that we would expect to be there. His feast is filled with beggars, people who are sick, the needy, the homeless. This banquet is filled with the have-nots, with people who are dirty and stinky and tired, with those who cannot make it on their own and they know it. This banquet is for the sorrowful. It is for the sick. It is for the downcast. It is for the suffering. It's a feast for the dying and for those who mourn. For this master's house is a house filled with sinners, with people who know their sin who know the desperate situation that they're in. It is for people who would never expect an invitation. Last week, we had the story of of the beggar Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus sat at the gate of the rich man's house, begging for food, longing for crumbs, with his sores festering, the dogs would come and lick them. Imagine for a minute that you're Lazarus. And you hear that the rich man, whose house you're sitting in front of, you hear that he's throwing a feast. You see all the people coming and going, making preparation for the feast, delivering supplies, taking out the trash, bringing in the new food and drink. They walk around you. And even these servants who are there to deliver the stuff despise you and kick the dirt on you as you ask for a penny. 
And you're sitting there and you watch the servants as, as they leave the banquet because everything's ready. They leave in their formal clothes to go and bring out the people with gilded invitations to bring them in. Your stomach growls. I mean, you're near starving, so you're used to this. But your stomach starts to growl when you smell the bread baking, the pastries, the steaks roasting for the feast, the wine being poured. Perhaps you shed a tear at some memory of what life used to be like as you hear the musicians singing and the, uh, playing their instruments and the singers singing, getting ready for the feast. And now you've dressed yourself up as nice as you can, cleaned the dirt off your face because you know that any minute now a procession of very rich and wealthy people will be coming to this man's house and maybe you'll get a penny or two out of them. But as the servants start to come back, There are no guests. No one comes. The the servants return, but no people. And now, with a slight bit of disappointment, you're looking for a place to sleep where the dogs won't wake you up too much at the night. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine being Lazarus in this situation? And then something astonishing happens. As you're looking for a place to sleep, sleep under maybe a tree or a rock or somewhere not too smelly, one of the servants from the master's house, still dressed in their fine clothes, comes up to you and says, come on to the feast. Think of it. Me? Yes, the servant says, the master wants you to come and feast with him. But I'm filthy. I stink. I'm sick. I've got these sores all over my body. Look at me. How could I come into the master's feast? And the servant doesn't care. Neither does the master. Come, he says. The master wants you. You can bleed all over his carpet, get get dirt all over his floor. He doesn't care. He wants you to eat with him in his feast. And that's you, Maya. That's you, Ava. That's you, dear saints. For he has brought you, all of us, unworthy sinners, into the banquet of his church, to the feast of his salvation. None of us are worthy. And that's the point. Because Jesus doesn't want you to be worthy. He wants to be merciful. He doesn't want you to do it all on your own. He wants to save you, and He has saved you. He wants to rescue you, and He has rescued you. He has brought you into His banquet, into His church, into His forgiveness, and into His life, which knows no end. This, dear Maya, and dear Ava, and to all the baptized. This is our comfort and our joy, for we partake richly of the banquet of Jesus' salvation. May it be your comfort and your peace now and forever. Amen. And now may this peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.